listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. Let me jump into this with you guys because one of the things, and you may have heard this as well, one of the things that I'm hearing from people noticing is that, you know, and I noticed this before Corona hit, but people started talking about the fact that, uh, bonjour, because we are the church. And this is one of the things I'm so tired of hearing, uh, as if the church assembling as believers in a church building is not important, let alone the fact that it's commanded by God in the Bible, uh, Hebrews 10, 25. But, um, one of the things I'm noticing is that people making this argument, well, we are the church, you know, and then they'll take verses of scripture out of context. For example, where the Bible says that because we have the Holy Spirit, we need that no man should teach us for the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. And so I've actually heard people making statements like, well, you know, we don't need uh, to go to church. You know, that's just an extra. It's a blessing. It's a benefit of being a Christian, but we have the Holy Spirit and he teaches us all things. So uh, because of that, we don't need a person to teach us. We don't need a pastor to teach us. We don't need a man of God or a woman of God to teach us. We have the Holy Spirit and we have a Bible. You know, that I've, I've actually heard that uh, as, a, as an argument from actual spirit-filled Christians. Well, we don't, we don't have to go to church. It's a bonus. It's an extra because the Bible says we have the Holy Spirit and he teaches us all things. And uh, we have the word of God for ourselves in our hands. We've got the Bible. And so we don't need uh, to go in and, and be a part of a church. And we've actually had people tell us that uh, they do just as well at home doing their own Bible study personally as they do going to a church and hearing their pastor preach or uh, being part of part of an assembly. And so there's this thought process in the body of Christ that, um, and I hopefully it's held by a minority uh, of the believers, but that we don't need spiritual authority, that we don't need men and women of God over us or speaking into us because we've got the Holy Spirit and he teaches us all things. And, you know, we've got uh, the Bible for ourselves and we can, the Holy Spirit can actually teach us lessons from his word and all this stuff. And so this is being uh, believed and taught by certain people. And uh, I want to just take you to a few passages of scripture and, uh, and show you some things that are going to help you uh, with this. And then I'm going to show you how to avoid being spiritually retarded because there are people and you say, well, where did you get that term from? Well, we were in a camp meeting and, um, and I'll, and I'll actually turn there with you, go with me to the book of Ephesians. And uh, I want to show you this, uh, in the book of Ephesians, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter four, and I want to read you what Paul wrote to the church. And, um, I'll start reading with, um, Ephesians four and verse seven. Listen to this. Now this is going to be the basis. This, this needs to be heard. This is the basis for what we're teaching today. Um, it, it's true. It's my cousin Brooke is saying, if you're trying to dig for scriptures that give you an excuse to not attend church, it's obvious who has the real issue. No question. Now look at this Ephesians chapter four, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says when he ascended on high, 
he led a host of captives and he gave gifts unto men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he has also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who, is, who dis- descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'm going to go further. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. You see that? So I'll stop there and then break this down for you. Paul is teaching that one of the reasons that Christ ascended is so that not only could he send the Holy Spirit, but the Bible tells us he sent gifts unto men. Who are those gifts? He lists the fivefold ministry gifts in the same passage and in the same context. He said, Jesus gave us apostles and he gave us prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, the fivefold ministry gift offices. He gave us those gifts, but for what purpose? For the perfecting of the saints, the equipping of the saints for their calling so that we would grow up in the faith, the Bible says, become spiritually mature. For what purpose? So that we could have or attain to the unity of the faith. And so one of the things the devil's a master at is bringing division in the body of Christ. Division destroys you. Division destroys you. We see divisions going on right now in churches because of what's happening, and divisions destroy you. God is not a God who brings division to his own people, but he's a God that brings division to his enemies. I I think this is a powerful thought. God understands the power of division so much and the power of unity. Go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, and what do we see? We see that there were pagan people who came from the east, from the across the plains of Shinar, and the Bible says they began to build a tower that was going into the heavens. We called it, we call it now the Tower of Babel. Well, these weren't God's people; these were pagan people. And if you study the history, they were building the tower for the purpose of idolatry or uh, idol worship. And so God looked down at him. What did He say? He said, "If we don't separate them, confuse them, or divide them, because of their unity." they will be able to accomplish whatever they set their hearts and minds to do. Think about that. God understood that unless we divide these pagan people, because they have such unity, they'll be able to accomplish whatever they set their hearts and minds to do. That's that's interesting because that's Genesis. That's before Christ in the flesh. That's before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's before the gifts of the Holy Ghost in operation. And those people weren't even followers of God. They were pagan people. 
And God just pointed out amongst pagans, just their pagan unity, <clears throat> just their pagan unity will give them the ability of, to have strength and accomplish their purpose. So see this? He said, I'm going to go down and divide them so that they won't be able to accomplish their pagan purpose. And so what did God do? He went down because they were all of one language and one ethnicity. So what did he do? Divided them there at Babel, which is why we call it the Tower of Babel. He created a division of languages so that they could not understand one another. It broke up their unity. It brought division into their camp and they could not accomplish their purpose. And so watch this. Division destroys your purpose. Put it in the comments. Every person that's watching, division destroys your purpose without question. And that's why the devil seeks to bring division into the body of Christ and amongst believers and tries to separate us. Now, this is a very important point. I hope I've got some pastors watching me today, some ministers, <clears throat> apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and I know there's believers. But that's not only why he tries to bring division among the believers, but he also tries to bring division between the people of God and the gifts that God set in the church. That's why as your pastor preaches and as you're sitting in your church, that's why the enemy works hard to get the people in the church to become offended about things the pastor's teaching and preaching. Because if he can just get you offended and get you to be bent out of shape and start leaving the church. Well, I'm out of here because I don't like what the pastor preached. I didn't like that message. I didn't like the way he said that. If in that, by the way, that's a sign of extreme spiritual immaturity. That's a sign of extreme spiritual immaturity. Offense, taking offense at everything. Oh, I can't believe he said that. I'm, I can't, oh, all right. That's a sign of extreme spiritual immaturity. Well, I'm leaving because I don't like what the pastor, all he preaches about is this. Or he, I, I don't like, blah, blah, blah. I'm not, and what that's the, that's the enemy tricking you into bringing division, not only between you and your fellow believers, but you and the spiritual gifts that by the way, God said into the church, men did not raise up. I want you to, I want you to remember this. Men did not create apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Men didn't create those offices. They were created by God and established by Jesus Christ. Ephesians tells us that he gave gifts unto men. What are the gifts? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. They're there to equip you and to equip me. Even though, listen, even though I'm, a, I'm one of those fivefold ministry gifts, even though I am, I still am being equipped by other ministry gifts. Did you ever think about that? I still have a pastor. I'm not some rogue running around with no pastor. I've got one. I sit under him. I receive from him. When he preaches, I receive what he's preaching. I don't allow myself to sit around and get offended. I mean, not, there's nothing for, to be offended about because I believe what he believes, but I'm sitting there and I'm receiving what he's preaching. I'm a minister too, but I don't sit there and go, well, I'm a, I'm a five-fold ministry gift, so I don't need no pastor over me teaching me. No, I'm still a believer. I'm still a believer. And if I'm still a believer, I still need to adhere to what Christ set up in the church. Believers are not exempted from doing what Christ set up in the church. And we've got spiritual retardation because people are not willing to submit to the gifts that God has placed in the church through Christ. 
Well, I can stay at home. I can do it myself. The Holy Ghost teaches me all things. I've got a Bible. I've got ears. I've got eyes. And that's not what the Bible teaches at all. We're not ever to be independent of the body of Christ. No believer should ever be independent of the body of Christ. Let me show you how foolish it is. It would be like saying that, yes, I am the body of Ted, but you know what? It'd be like my pinky saying, well, I don't need this body. You know, I I don't need it at all. I've got blood flowing through me. I've got a bone in me. I don't need the rest of the body. I'm going to separate myself from the body. And so if my pinky, and not not that it could because it doesn't have a life of its own, but not that not that it, if, if it did say, just cut itself off from my body and go do its own thing. Well, remember what Paul taught, that we ha- all of the members in particular of the body need the rest of the body. And Paul, what did he teach? He said, we can't have the eyes say to the ears, I have no need of you. That's stupid. I need eyes and I need ears. The ears can't say to the mouth, I don't need you because I need to hear and speak and eat. So I can't say because I have ears, I don't need a mouth or because I have a nose, I don't need eyes. All members are needed. All members are needed. And remember, Christ is the one who set the gifts in the church. And so if my pinky were to separate me, separate itself from me, remember this, the pinky, the rest of the body would live. The pinky would have serious issues. What would happen? In just a few moments, it would become cold. It would become cold. It would lose its life force. It would lose its strength. It would lose its ability to function. It would lose its ability to move. Why? Because it's been separated or severed from the rest of the body. And what people don't understand is when you sever yourself from the rest of the body of Christ or say, I don't need to submit to the gifts Christ said in the church. I don't need fellow believers around me. I don't need any of that. What's happened is you've separated yourself from life. And what's going on now is it's going to hinder your ability to move. It's going to hinder your ability to function in your purpose. It's going to hinder your ability to stay hot and on fire for God. It it absolutely will. It absolutely will. Just stay out of the presence of God and see what happens to you. It's not good. I've watched it over my life. Uh, I've watched people who think that they're above church and that they're above being submitted to the authority of the gifts God's placed in the church and think they're going to be fine. Well, I just do it from home, brother. We just do it from the house. Well, let me just, let me tell you something. If you think you can just do it from the house, if you think you can just do it from home, then what you're saying is you've, you've pretty much given Isaiah chapter 55, eight and nine. You've pretty much cut that out of your Bible where God said, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And if God is the one who established the assembling of believers, and if he's the one who set gifts into the church, check this out. His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts higher than your thoughts and mine. And so I'm not going to ever presume to have greater thoughts than God has. I'm not going to ever assume to have higher ways than God. Well, we've discovered, brother, that we can do it. That's Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. And 
I'm never going to say, well, you know, we've discovered that we can just do it at home and we just have just as much fellowship. No, because now what you're saying is that the commands in the Bible, like Hebrews 10.25 and others, are unnecessary, completely unnecessary, and it's foolish. Well, I don't need a pastor, brother. I am a priest and a king under the Lord, the Bible says. That doesn't mean anything. If you're not doing what the Bible says, you're cutting yourself off from your priesthood completely. Nobody can say, it's it's funny because it's like people, people can say that, well, I'm a Christian, so I can do this. And the problem is you can't be a Christian and not adhere to the commands given to Christians. I mean, that's insane. It would be like saying, I'm going to sign a contract with the Chicago Bulls, but then I've just decided I want to play for the New York Knicks. Well, you don't have the ability. If you're under contract with the Bulls, you do what the Bulls want, you play for the Bulls, you go to practice for the Bulls, you get your paycheck from the Bulls. You can't sign a contract with the Bulls and say, well, I actually just feel in my spirit that I'm going to play for the New York Knicks. You don't have the right to do that because you've already signed a contract with the Bulls. And the same is true with Christianity. You can't sign a covenant contract with God and say, well, I don't actually feel to participate in those things that the body of Christ is commanded to do. You're not allowed to do that. You can't do it. You can't just do whatever you want when you're in a covenant with God. You have to do what the Bible teaches you must do. Bottom, I, I, I don't know why that's a hard thing for people to understand. It's pretty basic. You can't just do whatever you want. You have to do what the Bible says. That's why the Bible. That's why Jesus said uh, in John fourteen twenty one, he said, uh, "He who has my commandments and obeys them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him." So you ever wonder why people that are outside of God's commands are not receiving the manifestations of Christ? It's because Christ is not required to manifest his power on behalf of people that don't obey his word. That's John 14, 21. Highlight the heck out of that in your Bible. Underline it, print it, print it out, put it on everything you got. Because that's that right there blows people's theology out of the water. Can't just do whatever you want. You can't do whatever you want. In fact, that verse proves God doesn't love everybody the same. He said, well, God loves us all the same, only in so much as he sent Jesus Christ for the whole world at large. That was, his, that was his act of love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That act of giving Jesus was his across-the-board love for the world at large. But John 14, 21 proves to us that God doesn't love every person the same and neither does Christ love every person the same, nor does he manifest, John 14, 21, nor does he manifest his power to everybody the same. It's those who have my commandments and obey them and obey them. It is he who truly loves me. What Jesus is trying to say is anyone can say they love me. But the truest proof of your love for Christ is that you obey his written word. That's the proof. What did Jesus say? You shall know them by their fruit. What is your fruit? It's the actions that you take that line up with God's mighty word. And so anybody, anybody can say they love God. It's not about saying you love him. James said, 
Faith without works or actions is dead being alone. So there are people who are living with a dead faith because their actions don't back up what they say they believe. Well, you know, brother, I'm a Christian, but we just don't believe so much in going to church. Oh, really? So you're the one. You're the one that gets to define what Christian actions and obedience truly are. I'm going to I'm going to actually start saying that to people. <laughs> well, brother, you know, we love the Lord and you know, we are Christians, but we don't really attend church anywhere. Oh, really? So you're the one that's the standard. You get to choose what God did and didn't say and didn't didn't mean. Oh, I didn't realize you were the one that got to across the board decide what was necessary in the Bible and what wasn't necessary. That's a foolish position to take. Well, brother, you know, we really love the Lord, but we really don't tithe or give. Oh, really? I didn't realize you were the one that got to determine which parts of the Bible were necessary and which ones were not. See, people, that's really a spirit of pride to actually look into the mighty word of God and say, yeah, I'll do that. But that, that's not really for me. Or, you know, I, I don't think I'll be doing that one. Oh, really? You get to decide, huh? You're the one that's the standard about what's necessary for a Christian. And I'm blown away by people during this time. That's why I put parenthetical phrase, uh, Corona thoughts, because I'm blown away by some people who, who have said, you know, this is what I've been saying for years. We should have always stayed home and just... You know, it makes me laugh. People are like, you know, in the early church, they did it from their homes. Yeah, R recognize something with me, if you would. They weren't all staying in their home and just praying and reading scripture. They were gathering in a home. Tons of believers gathering in homes. Not social distancing or staying. They were gathering in homes. Even when Jesus was on the earth, to such a degree that when the paralyzed man's friends brought him to be healed by Jesus, they got to the home where Jesus was meeting with the believer. And what happened? It was so packed full of people, they couldn't get in. They had to climb up on the roof, tear the roof off, and lower him down into the room. Well, brother, in the early church, they did it in their homes. No, a lot of people gathered in a home. <laughs> you know what? Because there, there, no, uh, there were no church buildings built. They had the synagogue. Where they went, they had the temple. What do you think they did? Just neglected those? The Bible says in Acts chapter 3 that they had an hour of prayer daily. Did you ever read that? The Bible says, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were headed up to the temple at the hour of prayer. So they had a daily time that they went and assembled together and prayed and got into the presence of God. Notice that the, the apostles themselves weren't even saying, well, you know, I'm an apostle, so we, I really do this stuff from my home. No, they even assembled. They even assembled in, in, in those places. So don't act like, well, in the early church, you know, they, they all stayed home. No, they didn't stay home. They went into homes and packed them full of new believers. Let me ask you a question. Where do you think, which home, just as a, just as a question, even if only half of them went to church, even if only a quarter of them, let's say one third to make the math easy because I was homeschooled. Even if only a third of the new believers from the day of Pentecost gathered in a home, that's a thousand people. Which home in the early church in Jerusalem do you think a thousand people met in? 
Even if only, I know they were coming in from all over the world because of the Passover celebration. So let's just say um, <clears throat> even, even 50, even 25% of that. Which home do you think 250 of the 3,000 believers met in? Which home do you think held 250 people? I, I mean, I've never, <clears throat> I've never uh, been to the Holy Land, but I've seen pictures of what homes look like uh, in the early church. Tyler saying Lydia Lydia was a household which could have been up to a hundred people, so a hundred people. Where do you think that they put the rest of the believers? You think they just said, "Well, you know, we're going to limit the early church to a hundred people. The rest of you just don't go to church." No, they were meeting in these places and packing them, and then as the persecution rose and the the diaspora went out around the world, what happened? They continued, and there were assemblies that Paul visited. <laughs> you, you understand that. He has, he, Romans chapter one, I long to be with you, which the church in Rome, the assembly of believers so that I may deliver to all of you spiritual gifts so that you may be established. And I was, if you're wondering where we got this phrase, spiritual retardation, uh, we were in a camp meeting with my, one of my father's camp meetings and a minister got up and he said, and I thought this was excellent because notice God didn't just give pastors and evangelists. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And, and the, this minister got up and he said, if, uh, if all you have is a pastor ever speak to you, you can only ever be one fifth perfected, one fifth perfected. You can't ignore the apostolic office. You can't ignore the prophetic office. You can't ignore the evangelistic office and you can't ignore the teaching office and say, well, all I need is this. That's why we're all placed in the body together. It'd be like if all I ever did in my life was eat carbs. I have no proteins coming in. I've got no fats coming in. I'm just eating carbs. Well, my body's not going to function properly if all I eat is carbs because God created this body to need more than just carbs. Did you know that even if, and this is just a, 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 an interesting side note, but did you know if you're out in the wilderness in a survival, in a survival uh, situation, and if you were, even if you were good with creating snares and traps, even if you just caught rabbits for your, for your own food, they tell us in survival situations, you can't just eat rabbit meat and survive because although you're getting protein and you're getting calories, it's mainly only protein. And there's actually something called rabbit fever. You can actually eat too much protein and it hurts your body if you don't have fats and carbs with it. So our bodies are created to need all of that to function properly. The body of Christ is created to need all five ministry gifts speaking into the body of believers, into the church. And so it's it's interesting that I heard this minister say, he said, if all you ever get is one of the ministry gifts or two of them, you could only ever be one or two fifths protect, perfected. And at the be, at, at the best case scenario, you're spiritually retarded. Spiritually retarded. People are neglecting. They neglect what God's doing in the earth. Well, I'll just stay home. Oh, really? So you don't think your pastor was called by God to pastor the church? You don't believe that your pastor was set in the church by Christ for the, for the purpose of equipping you and perfecting you and putting you in position to do what God's called you to do? I want you to hear something from me, and I'm not a pastor, but I want you to hear something from me about the pastoral gift, the evangelistic gift, and all the other gifts. 
is that they're not suggestions. And one of the things that's happened in America first, and it's trying to be trying to happen in Europe and around the world, and I'm sure Europe first probably, is that there's this move to try to make the ministry gifts be on the same level as everybody else in the body of Christ. And that's not what God did. So now we have these pastor by committee churches. Well, well, who's the pastor? Well, we don't really have a pastor. We have a, a committee of pastors. That's happening in churches if you don't know that. Well, we don't really have a senior pastor, a head pastor. We just ha- we have a committee of pastors that kind of pastor the church. They're made up of lay people and elders and you know those on the board, and we really just pastor by committee. They're, this is a church that's body-led. Well, that, that's, that's not scriptural, and it's damaging. It's damaging. Just remember this. Anything with more than one head is a monster. Anything with more than one head is a monster. Well, brother, we don't really have a pastor. We kind of pastor by committee. We have a staff of people that all pastor our church. That's that's not something found in the Bible. <clears throat> it's not found in the Bible. There is leadership set into the church. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to devalue the ministry gifts so that there's not a true ministry gift uh, uh, view that's being seen in the body of Christ like is taught in scripture so that there will not be a perfecting of the saints so there will not be an equipping. See, there has to be an authority to submit to that God set up so that there's delegated authority. If you can't submit to any authority, you don't have authority. It's like in the military. You know, you have a CO, a commanding officer, and they have a commanding officer, and they have a commanding officer. Everybody answers to someone. Bottom line. Everyone answers. And, and literally, this is how foolish people are. They say, well, are you saying that my spiritual life, I'm supposed to answer to my pastor? Yes, it's what I'm saying. It's what I'm saying. It's what the Bible teaches. And actually, if you so I, I submit to Jesus. I don't submit to a pastor. Well, you don't submit to Jesus if you don't submit to his delegated authority, period. This is why I understand there's spiritual retardation in the body of Christ. Because people don't understand the delegated authority that Christ set in the church. Well, I submit to Jesus. I don't submit to my pastor. He's just another believer like me. No, he's not. He's not just another believer like you. He holds a five-fold ministry gift office that was established by God and sent by Christ, and he's positioned in the church for the perfecting of the saints. So don't, don't say, well, I submit to Jesus, but I don't submit to my pastor. That's a foolish thing to say. That's a foolish thing to say. That'd be like being in the military and saying, well, I submit to the general of the military, but I don't submit to my drill sergeant. Yeah, you're going to find out real quick that you will submit to your drill sergeant. Because everything's delegated. Everything's delegated. It'd be like, it'd be stupid because you wouldn't pull over for a police officer that was following you with his lights on. And when he, when you finally pulled to the side of the road and he asked you, why did it take you so long to pull your car over the road? Well, I don't submit to police authority. I submit to the governor of the state. I submit to the mayor. Well, that, there's delegated authority. They have power vested in them to do what they're doing. They're deputized, if you will, deputized. Deputized means they've been given power from higher authority. The fivefold ministry gift of the church has been given power from God and from Christ to not only teach and train the saints, but to lead the saints, 
to give commands to the saints. Why do you think that in the New Testament, they had the right and the ability to rebuke believers, to rebuke them and call them out and say, you're wrong, change or get out. That's what they said, by the way, if you don't know that. Paul actually encouraged them. I can see I'm going to have to teach this because people don't, I don't think people know. I don't think people understand. Listen to this. Listen to Paul's message uh, to Titus. This is a pastoral epistle. Titus was a pastor. Listen to what Paul said to Titus. If you go to Titus chapter 3, I want you to listen to this. Titus chapter 3 and verse 9 is where I'll start reading. This was a, remember, everything in the scripture was inspired by the Holy Spirit to be said and to be written and to be read today. It doesn't go out of style. Titus chapter 3 and verse 9, listen to what Paul told this pastor to do. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Listen. As for a person who stirs up division in the church, after warning him once and then warning him twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and self-condemned. Do you see that? Tina, Tina doesn't like the word retarded, but I'm using the word retarded, Tina, in the most technical sense of the word, not as a way to, uh, it's, it's not a derogatory slang term or name calling. It's in the, just like the little boy that you may have helped, it's a spiritual retardation. It's a, a slow to learn. It's an actual deficiency, spiritual retardation, not perfected, not in a place of functionality. It's what we're talking about. Come in from the beginning before you start putting things in the comments and understand the context. So, so look what Paul said. He said, there is an issue when you've got people in the church. Well, who had the authority to deal with these people in the church? Was it other believers or was it Titus, the pastor? Titus, the pastor, was commanded by Paul. If you've got people in your body of believers that all they do is stir up divisions, warn them. There's grace. Remember this. There's grace. There's double grace because he said, warn them. And if they don't listen, warn them again. Give them two warnings. It's not a harsh thing. First time somebody makes a mistake, you come in and start freaking out. No, no, there's double grace there. If you didn't see this, that's the Holy Spirit allowing people to have a time of repentance, to have a time to hear the word from spiritual leadership and to repent of their mistake. There's time. Two, double grace. Warn them once. If they don't listen, warn them again. Now look what he said. And if they don't listen still, this is very important that you hear this. If they still don't listen, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, self-condemned. Self-condemned. What did, uh, what did Paul tell the church in Corinth to do? He said, I can't can't bless you or I can't commend you. You you guys got crazy stuff going on in your church. You've got a dude in your church. I'm paraphrasing this because Paul didn't use the word dude. You got a dude in your church that's sleeping with his stepmother and bragging about it. 
How about this? Warn him. And if he doesn't listen to you, cast him out of the church. First Corinthians, cast him out of the church. Literally turn him over, uh, turn his soul over for the destruction of Satan because he won't listen. Who had the authority to do that? The pastor at the church in Corinth. Who had the authority to, uh, you know, whatever. Oh, I, I didn't know. I didn't know that it was, it was your son. Yeah, I did answer about 1 John 2, and I answered it at the beginning of the broadcast, Tina. Go back to the beginning and listen to the whole thing. I answered that question already. So understand, he had the authority to cast that person out of the church and had the authority to turn someone's soul over to Satan for the destruction of his soul. Why? Because they would not listen, and the pastor, the one set in authority over the church, had the authority to correct believers. So well, I don't submit to a pastor. I, oh, really? Well, then you, you've you completely missed everything taught in the New Testament by the Lord and through the apostles who were inspired by the Holy Ghost to write what they wrote. This command of how to handle these things in the church is given in pastoral epistles, which nobody does today. I mean, few people does today. It does happen, Marie, in some churches where the pastors actually have the spiritual backbone to do it. Spiritual backbone. I'll give you a story. My grandfather, who pastored for 62 years in West Virginia and other places around the nation, had a family in his church that was so offended with him and the way he pastored, they went and printed up yard signs. Yard signs like a politician would use during their campaign and printed yard signs that said, Shuttlesworth, no, communism, no. As if my grandfather was some sort of a communist pastor. Put them up all over town and, and started uh, standing against my grandfather as the pastor of their church. And he was the pastor and they were members of the church. And literally standing against him as the pastor. Well, it, and, and this always made me laugh. Like, if you, if you have an issue like that, where you really believe the pastor's a communist pastor, why are you still attending the church? It makes, makes, makes no sense. Why are you still attending the church if that's what you believe about the pastor? Well, we still go there, but we believe the pastor's a communist. Well, then don't go there. You're not forced to go there. Find another church instead of stirring up divisions. As the Bible says, and it's exactly what they were doing. They were going to people behind the scenes, talking about the pastor, uh, stirring up divisions in the church. So my grandfather, who had no, had no lack of spiritual backbone at all, he was as bold as they come. He was a bull. Kelly Frederick knows what I'm talking about. He was her pastor at one time. And he had no lack of spiritual backbone. He was bold as a lion. And one Sunday... As they were all there in the church, because they'd been sending letters as well to the church, scathing letters to my grandfather. He stood up, pulled the letters out, read them in front of the body of believers on a Sunday morning. And he said, I'd like to, folks, I'd like to read to you some letters that have been coming into the church and had strategically placed ushers behind the members of that family, one of them at the time was my uncle Tim Shuttlesworth, who pastors that church now, my father and others, I believe my uncle Terry was there, and positioned them in the pews behind those families. And um, 
He said, let me read to you some of the letters that have been coming in and then read them verbatim on a Sunday morning to the body of believers that were there in the church and read and talked about the divisions that were being caused and all that. And he said, and then he called them out publicly. And he said, such and such a family, all of you here that have been doing this, I publicly tell you, you're no longer uh, uh, welcome in the church. And now you're free to go. Ushers, throw them out. And the ushers threw them out. Backbone. Tina, was that your own son that you're talking about that passed away? I'm very sorry for your loss. Just so you understand, Tina, I'm not ta- I'm not using the word uh, retarded as a derogatory term, nor am I using it as name calling. I'm using it in the most technical sense of the word. So I'm very sorry that you had a loss and that was your son, I'm assuming. And we pray for your peace. Uh, but that's not what I'm doing on this broadcast. I'm using it in the most technical sense of the term so that people understand there is a progression in the body of Christ. Not everybody's at the same level of faith and not everybody's at the same level of understanding and not everybody's at the same level of maturity. And Paul dealt with this and the apostles dealt with this and Christ dealt with this. And it needs to be dealt with today because you hear what's being said by Christians, even Pentecostal and charismatic believers, that we don't need spiritual authority. We don't need pastors. We don't need the church. We've got it ourselves. We can stay home. And and it's understandable uh, that these people need to be addressed. And it needs to be addressed because this actually, you, this actually is destructive to the body of Christ. Why, why is this destructive to the body of Christ? Because the devil doesn't want us to progress in our purpose, in our function in the Great Commission, with the ability to perform signs, wonders, and miracles, lay our hands on the sick, watch them recover, see people come into the kingdom through conversions. No question. He doesn't want any of that to happen. So what does he do? Tries to trick us into forming divisions in the church and then actually stand against our spiritual authority, which is apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, whom God set in the church for the perfecting of the saints. And so we let me just tell you, it's a foolish thing to think you're going to do it in independently of your pastor, independently of, of evangelists or apostles, prophets, or teachers. They are there sent by Christ for the perfecting of the saints. Now, let me give you something uh, about what I'm talking about. Even this, this is found uh, in the book that I just released, and I'm going to read some of this to you so that you see it. There is one of the things that uh, men of God and women of God are sent to do is to impart to you supernatural gifts through knowledge, through preaching, through teaching, through the laying on of hands. And those gifts will reside in you. Paul taught this, by the way. This is not a heretical teaching. This is found throughout Scripture. Throughout Scripture. What did Paul say to Timothy? Listen to what he said. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul said, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. How did it get there? Through the laying on of my hands. What if Timothy had said, well, I don't need Paul. I'm a pastor too. Paul's just an apostle. I'm a pastor also. I don't need him. I don't need his guidance. I don't need his teaching. I don't need his letters. If he would have had a spirit of pride and said, well, I don't need spiritual authority. Think about this. 
Timothy would have missed out on impartation, and when Paul laid his hands upon him, a gift came into his spirit. According to Scripture, stir up that gift that came into you when I laid my hands on you. So one of the things that happens is that when we are submitted to spiritual authority, impartation can take place and gifts can be deposited. What will they do? What will they do? Question, what is the purpose of those gifts coming into you as a believer from spiritual authority? Well, let's listen to what Paul said um, to the Roman church. Same word, uh, base word, charis or charis that comes from uh, uh, charisma. It's spiritual gift. Listen to this. Paul said in Romans 1.11, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. For what purpose? To strengthen you. To strengthen and establish you. So notice the, Paul even gave the reason why those gifts come. To strengthen the believers and to establish the believers. And so those gifts that are given through spiritual leadership to the believers... Say, well, I have all I need through the Holy Ghost. I don't need his. Well, then what's the point? Anybody that thinks like that, I have to question them. Then what is the point? What do you think, God? God is some fool? What do you think, the Holy Spirit is just doing arbitrary things that make no difference? You think? Do you honestly think God's wasting his time? You, you think that's what God's doing? You think he's wasting his time? Well, you know, I sent them all the Holy Spirit, but, you know, I'm also going to just do a little something extra there and just throw some spiritual gifts in the mix and uh, pastors, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers, well, I'm going to give them those. Well, if they feel like doing it, you know, I'll, no, there's an order. Yes, you have the Holy Spirit. Yes, he resides in you. Yes, you are led by the Holy Ghost, but it does not negate the need for spiritual men and women of God in your life imparting to you. It's actually commanded in the scripture. It's commanded. And Paul said, when I deliver these spiritual gifts and impart to you, it will strengthen and establish you. Amen. Now, let me show you what happens. Listen to what he said to the, the Corinthians in his second letter. I wanted to come, this is 2 Corinthians 1.15, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. You see that? A second experience of grace. That's also the word uh, charis, that's, that's the root of charisma. A second experience of grace. He's saying, I'm going to actually give you more spiritual gifts than I gave you before. You already had an experience of spiritual gifts. I'm going to give you another experience when I come to be with you. You see that? So Paul, he wouldn't just travel into these churches for his own health. He wasn't just going there for the fun of it under extreme persecution and being beaten and being shipwrecked and going in fastings often and being without food as he's being persecuted. He wasn't just doing it for his own uh, good health and for his own fun. He was going there on a mission. He said, when I get to you, I will impart to you a second experience of grace. Romans, when I get to you, I'll impart to you spiritual gifts. Timothy, I laid my hands on you and de delivered to you a spiritual gift. He wasn't just doing it for, for no reason. God was sending him as a father to these places. Now look, impartation will take you from being useless to useful. And I want you to write it in the comments, those that are watching, from useless to useful. Put that in the comments. From useless to useful. 
That's what impartation does. That's what your pastor's there to do. That's what evangelists are there to do. That's what apostles and prophets and teachers are there to do, is to transition us from being useless to becoming useful. And I'm going to show it to you in the, in the scripture right now. It's exactly what happens when you're submitted to spiritual leadership that's imparting to you. It takes you from useless to useful. Listen to this. One of the things, and I'm reading, <clears throat> this is an interesting passage from the book of Philemon. Philemon, a very interesting story, a short book, but Paul's letter <clears throat> gives us insight into what happened in a man whose name was Onesimus. Onesimus was a useless believer, according to Paul. Listen to what he said. And in fact, we'll go there. Let's go to Philemon. <clears throat> And look at it together. Listen to this. There's only one chapter, but I want you to see what Paul said. Um, let me start reading with Philemon. It's only one chapter, but verse number eight. Listen to this. Paul said this. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Stop there. Why could Paul command somebody to do something. Did you ever think about that? Uh, nowadays, people say, well, who does he think he is commanding me to do anything? Who does he think? Paul said, I actually am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what's required. Why would he be able to command any of these people to do what was required? Because he had spiritual authority over them and could give them commands through Christ. He could have written here to Philemon and said, I'm commanding you to do this. And I love how Paul also writes with a little bit of a sarcastic uh, uh, twinge. Listen to this. He said, um, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you or ask you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, verse 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, my child, whose father I became in my imprisonment. This is interesting. Formerly, look at verse 11 tells it all. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Hallelujah. Let me read the rest of the passage to you because it makes me laugh here at the end. He said, sending my very heart, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he has parted from you for a little while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say, <laughs> I love this part. Listen to what Paul said. He said, I'll repay the debt. I'm not going to even mention that you owe me your own life. <laughs> I love it. Paul, Paul d digs in a little bit deeper there. You know, if he's if he owes you anything, I'll repay it. I'm not going to even mention you owe me your very life, but yeah, I'll, I'll repay the small debt if he has one. 
And so Paul, what's he saying? He said, he's useful to me. He's useful to you. How did uh, Onesimus go from being useless to useful? How did that happen? It happened, as Paul described, because I became his father while I was in prison. What's he saying? He became like a spiritual son to me, and I was imparting to him. I was teaching him. I was raising him up. And through the teaching, through the impartation, through me being a father to him, he went from useless to useful. That's what impartation does. That's the purpose of spiritual leadership. That I mean, what do you think happens? You think somebody just gets saved and knows everything? and has all knowledge, and has the ability to do any... No, it doesn't work that way. There's a maturing that Ephesians talks about, that we're supposed to mature in the faith, and our spiritual leadership raises us up in maturity, makes equips us for the work that we're called to do. Number two, not only equips us for the work that we're called to do, but furthermore, it gives us the ability to become mature and to bring unity in our faith. So you understand, look at that. Chloe said, Pastor Alan Hawes was talking about this 10 minutes ago in leadership class. And it's, and it's what we need to hear. Because if you act like, and see, this is what the devil wants, is to make us independent spirits. Well, I don't need anybody. I don't need him. I don't need a pastor. I don't need him telling me. I don't need anybody speaking. And this is a spirit of pride and rebellion that's trying to sweep through the body of Christ. And I'm noticing now that we're in, in these, these moments where we're going through this quarantine from coronavirus, it's interesting to me the hearts of some people that are coming out. Well, I've been saying this all along. We don't need to go to church. We don't need a pastor. You know, and it blows my, if a pastor says that, it blows my mind because I guarantee you they won't be cool with it when the quarantine's over and all of their people say, you know what? You were right. We should have just all stayed home and never come to church. We should just catch it online. I guarantee you pastors won't be cool with that when the quarantine's over. But I don't think there's any pastor that's going to speak against spiritual leadership because they are spiritual leaders. I mean, if they did, they just are so ignorant of the word, I'm surprised they're even a pastor. No, no pastor who's a spiritual leader is going to speak against spiritual leadership that has any kind of a brain. They know the importance of spiritual leadership. They've given their life for it. They've given their life for it. And so it's important that we understand there is an, there is an agenda of the devil at this time to try to bring division into the body of Christ to try us to get, number one, to bring division in us between what we're saying to each other, how we're treating one another. That's number one. But number two, he's trying to bring a division between God's people and the leadership of the body of Christ. And it's dangerous. I refuse, I refuse to speak against my leadership. I refuse to speak against leaders because of the fact there is an agenda I showed you this from scripture. The devil uses division to destroy, to destroy your purpose. That's why the Bible has so much to say about unity. A threefold cord is not easily broken. One can put a thousand to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. Listen, when we come together, it doesn't just make us stronger numerically in that, you know, well, two, two have double the power of one. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there's exponential strength in unity, if one can put a thousand, two can put ten thousand, then three can put a hundred thousand, 
and four can put a million to, to flight. You, you hear what I'm saying? There's exponential supernatural power, multiplied power in unity, multiplied power. God even tried to prove that point through the Old Testament. And, you know, Gideon was freaked out because like the majority of his army was being stripped away from him. They were going home. God said, let them go. They're not ready. Let them go. They're not ready. They're not ready to fight. Let them go home until he was stripped down to just 300, 300 that were willing to be in unity and fight the way God said fight. And let me tell you, with 300 men that were in unity with the word of God, Gideon was able to win victory. It's not about having 50,000 with you. It's about being in unity with your body of believers and that unity produces strength and exponential increase in impactfulness. And I refuse. You've got to be of the mindset. I refuse to let anybody or anything destroy my unity with my brothers and I refuse to let anybody or anything destroy my connection to spiritual leadership. I refuse. I refuse. People are so quick, so quick to uh, destroy relationships with their spiritual leadership. I've never seen so many people get offended so quickly. Offense is a sign of spiritual immaturity. It's a sign. You can't get around it. Well, I'm offended. <laughs> it's a sign of spiritual immaturity. Um, I've heard people say that, uh, Luenda, when the Bible speaks of the sheep and the goats being separated, that's end times Bible prophecy. And it's actually speaking about nations, sheep and goat nations. It, it's not actually speaking about uh, individual people. It's speaking about nations that are separated, uh, that are judged at the end of time. Wheat and the tares is speaking of sinners and saints. So I don't know that it's necessarily speaking about the fact that people are sinners that we thought were Christians. I think there are many Christians that are baby Christians, as the Bible calls them. I mean, Paul said that you're infants. I have to give you the milk of the word. And I think that it's showing that there is a great divide of spiritual immaturity. But many times I think it's because people aren't willing to submit themselves to the leadership God's placed in the church. And so they won't be submitted to spiritual leadership and can't be equipped properly to do what the Lord has asked them to do. <clears throat> on the division agenda of the enemy, are you elaborating more on the church and fivefold or the church and the government? No, I'm talking about division agenda. I'm talking about the enemy trying to bring division among the church and among church people, between believers and believers to spiritual leadership. The government, the government has nothing to do with the spiritual development of believers. I'm talking about I'm talking about how the enemy is doing his best to try to get people to disconnect from spiritual leadership. It blows my mind. They're trying to remove, they've removed platforms in many churches. Well, we all stand on the same level. You know, it's subliminal. They remove the pulpit and put a coffee table. And listen, if this is your aesthetic, I'm not, I'm just talking about a mindset. I'm not speaking against individual churches. I'm saying there's a, a, a psychological mindset. I take away the holy desk the pulpit that was placed to deliver the word of God. Well, we now just use a coffee table. I stand on the same level as everybody else because I'm just like you. You know, even to the point where spiritual leaders, and, and I do believe this plays a part in it, 
Spiritual leaders are just dressed like everybody else. You could walk into a church nowadays and not even have any idea who the leader is. You can't even see by looking at someone who the leader is. You know, there's something to be said. There's a reason. You know, you understand, don't you, that there's millions of dollars of research that have gone into what presidential candidates wear at debates, what presidents wear. What do you think? It's like a coincidence that presidents only wear dark suits, navy blue or dark gray and a white shirt or a light blue shirt and a red tie or a blue tie? Do you think that it's just a coincidence that that's what goes on for the la- for decades and decades and decades? Or do you think they've actually done psychological research about outfits that people can wear that project leadership and project trust in the person themselves. And, and, you know, there is, just in case you don't know the answer, there has been research done. There is a reason why people dress like they do that are in leadership, in the public eye. Because in our psychological uh, mindset, it actually puts us, as we look at a person, that's a person who's in charge. It just It's just true. I mean, I, people may like it, not like it. It's just true. What are we trying to strip out of the church? We're trying to strip that. It has nothing to do with, let me just tell you something. No, Josh, it's not a terrible word to use. It's a technical term. Watch from the beginning and understand what I'm talking about. It's not a terrible word to use. People are so funny. Do you know it's even used in music terminology? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if people know that. It's not a terrible caption. It's the right caption. If people would go back to the beginning and understand, retarded and retardation is a technical term. It's not name-calling. It's not a derogatory term. It's because people don't understand because they've been in the 21st century so long that they don't even understand the etymology of words. It's not a terrible term. It's a technical term. (laughs) Just look it up in the dictionary. It blows my mind that people don't understand (laughs) what words mean. It's technical. Do you know what it means when they retard a song at the end of a song? It means they slow it down. That's exactly what the term means. And so people need to just understand there is, you can, it blows my mind because we live in an offense culture. You see what I'm talking about as people jump on the broadcast. What a horrible, people haven't even listened to any of the teaching and they're automatically offended. It's because we live in a cancel culture and an offense culture. People just jump to offense before they know anything. No, it's not a terrible caption, Megan. I use the word in its most technical term. If you don't like it, log off the broadcast and go bother somebody else. It's a horrible term. It's a technical term. (laughs) The action of delaying or slowing the progress or development of something from Webster's Dictionary. I know it's hard because people don't study and have not been taught uh, vocabulary lessons in their common core school, but it's a technical term and it's exactly what I'm teaching about. So if you've got an issue with it because you had a friend or something, you think I'm calling names or, you know, if you think I'm being using it as a derogatory term or to, to name call, I'm not, not using it in that context. I'm using it in the dictionary definition context. That's the, the perfect term to use of what we're talking about today. So do me the, do me the honor of actually watching from the beginning of the broadcast and getting the context or just log off and go somewhere else. Psalm 133, listen, behold, verse one, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, when brothers dwell in unity. 
Exactly, Jessica. That is addicted to outrage. It's our culture. Cancel culture, outrage culture, offended culture. Can't believe you'd put that word. Can't believe you'd use that word. Oh, excuse me for properly using the English language while I'm speaking to English-speaking people. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. There's a unity that God works through and moves through. Unity brings strength. Unity brings the power of God into what we're doing. It's division that destroys. And there's people that don't understand. They want to be disconnected from spiritual leadership and think that they're still going to operate in power. And they're missing out. What are they missing out on? They're missing out on the power of God. They're missing out on the impartation and spiritual gifts that could be uh, uh, that could be deposited into their spirit. And what is it? What is it? It's a plot and a plan to hinder to hinder the flow and the development, as was posted a moment ago. Thank you for posting uh, the dictionary caption, which I you know I can't understand why people don't understand English words that speak the English language. The action of delaying or slowing the progress or development of something, okay? So just take it from the technical term and understand what we're talking about. The enemy has a desire to delay or slow the progress or development of the body of Christ. How does he do it? By bringing in divisions, by keeping us from the system that God set in the earth for the perfecting or the development of the saints. And that's what retardation means. It means to slow down or to stop something. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to slow down or stop the progression of the body of Christ. And that's exactly what is happening. Because people don't want to be submitted. Why? We live in a rebellious society. It's a rebellious society. They don't want, we live in a postmodern. If you don't know what the term postmodernism means, basically, if I put it in a nutshell for you, it means that truth is relative to the individual. If you don't know that, postmodernist thought is truth is relative to the individual. It's not a standard of truth. That there's no standard of truth, meaning what's true for you may not be true for me. What is right for you may not be right for me. It's it's all based upon our individuality, our life, our, our experiences. And so, you know, that thing may be right for you, but it's not right for me. It might be wrong for you, but it's not wrong for me because I'm not you. And so don't judge my actions based on your actions. And so really what they're trying to say is that there's no standard or absolute truth, which is a lie, obviously, because the word of God gives us standard absolute truth. So what they're trying to do is that that, that thought process of postmodernism has crept into the church, and now what they're trying to do is treat what the Bible says with a postmodernist thought process which is, well, you know, I know that was true back then, but this is 2020. That's what they're doing. It's what they're doing with the argument on LGBTQ. It's what they're doing with the argument. I mean, anything that people want to get out of. Well, brother, that's archaic. That's what they believed back then, you know, but that's, that's, not, that's not for today. That was, that was back then in the Bible times, you know. I mean, literally, that's what they're teaching. 
It's postmodernism that's crept into the body of Christ, and it's dangerous because what you're saying is God didn't mean what he said or that his words have an expiration date on them and his commands have an expiration date, and we're in a place now that many of them are expired and we shouldn't obey them. Well, you know, brother, that was for then. This is for now. No, God's word is absolute truth. And when it's being preached and taught to us by spiritual leadership, we should receive it with joy and gladness, knowing that if we'll obey and put into uh, uh, work or put into effect what's being taught to us, it will actually cause us to grow and to increase and to be blessed. No question about it causes us to grow, increase, and be blessed. And so what ends up happening is, is that people, by their own ignorance, are trying to separate themselves in a spirit of rebellion that's creeping through, creeping through this nation and other nations. Who does he think he is telling me what to do? Who does blah, blah, blah. And people get all bent out of shape. You know, people get all bent out of shape. They, I can't believe, you know, if there was a correction what, what, let me ask you a question. Why do you think so many ministers have gotten away from doing what they're supposed to do? Give you an example. Why do you think you would almost never, ever in 2020, at, I would say at 80% of churches in America, you would never, ever hear a rebuke coming from the pulpit? Why do you think that is? You're welcome to write it in the comments if you have an answer to it. Why do you think that in 2020, 80% of churches in America, you'd probably never, ever hear a rebuke or a harsh correction come from the pulpit. You know why? Because people have put themselves in a place where they've formatted their churches to be people-pleasing churches that don't offend anybody or even make anybody uncomfortable. That's a great way to summarize it, AJ, fear of man. Because we've got big church buildings that we have mortgages on that we can't afford to pay unless the people are in the seats and the people won't give their money if we don't keep them happy and if we don't keep them entertained and if the seats are empty because we've said something that's uncomfortable or truthful, then the people won't come. And if the people don't come, they won't give their money. If they don't give their money, we can't pay our mortgage and we can't stay in the building. That's, that's the whole progress right there. Whole progress. Fear of man. And they don't have the, and, and, and truly, if you want to know what the Bible says about it, there's many people that are just hirelings. They're not called by God. Maybe their grandmother called them into the ministry. Maybe they thought it would be a good idea as a career path and didn't, and weren't called by God. Mistake. Because you better have spiritual backing for what you're doing and spiritual authority. And what's happened is a seeker sensitive society has destroyed our ability to do what the Bible says. Why do you think there's not, not only not correction, why do you think there's pastors that are just letting anything go on in their churches and never addressing it? Because they know they don't have the authority to address it. Many of them, their own boards that they work for would, would fire them as the pastor if they stirred up any trouble in their own church. Many pastors that literally, because uh, unscriptural ways things have been set up in the United States, where the churches are not run as they're supposed to be run by the leadership of a pastor, but by the democracy of a board. And so the pastor is not even free to preach what he wants. He's not even free to say what God told him to say because the, the board will fire his behind if he does. So it has that, that's another reason that we end up having uh, problems is because you've got people that are being run around by a democracy of people that aren't even in the ministry. 
that are telling them what to preach and telling them what to say and what they can't say and what they can't address. Well, brother, you know, I ran that past the board and they just didn't think it was a good idea. I've had that said to me. I've had that said to me. You know, I, you know I've had pastors say to me that we can't, when you, if you come to preach at our church, um, we can't take an offering for you, a love offering for your ministry because my board doesn't think it would be a good idea. Literally said that to me on the phone. Well, brother, you know, um, uh, if you come preach here at the church, we'd love you to come, but we can't take a love offering for your ministry because our board doesn't think it would be a good idea. Oh, really? Well, I didn't realize that, uh, you know, it blows my mind. I can't, first of all, I can't imagine being the leader of a church and saying something that weak to another minister and just like basically solidifying the fact I have zero authority in my own church. But that's what's happening. Now, I'm not calling about anybody's name. I'm talking about a principle. I'm talking about a principle. You know, when the Bible says that it's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know what I mean? <clears throat> so it blows my mind. Whatever, Carrie. People get offended. If you choose to be offended, be offended. It's not my, I can't stop people from being offended. And I've been very, very, very accommodating of people. And I've explained, I've explained very plainly what I'm saying and what I'm doing on this broadcast. And so if you choose to be offended, be offended. But it's not because I've been out of line. It's because you don't understand or you've chosen to be offended. So I've got nothing, absolutely nothing else to say if you've got an issue. It's your issue, not mine. And so I want you to, uh, I want you to understand this with me. There's, there, are, there are pastors. There are pastors that can't even do what the Lord's told them to do. It's not that they don't hear from the Lord. They can't because of the way their church government's been set up, which is a foolish way, by the way, to set up church government. They can't even do what the Lord's asking them to do. In prayer, he'll speak to them and they know I can't, if I do that, they'll fire me. You think about that. You don't think that's a demonic thing that the enemy has tried his best to strip authority away from spiritual leadership so that they can't even do what the Lord's asking them to do without being fired from their own church. I mean, that's crazy if you think about it. That now a pastor can't hear from God, can't correct. Well, well, I, you know, then you get called in by your board. Well, you publicly correct it. So now what? We can't correct sin in somebody's life in the body if they're a big giver. So if somebody gives a lot of money in the offering, somehow that exempts them from receiving spiritual correction because we don't want them to be offended or leave the church. Do you think God's going to penalize you financially as a pastor because of the fact you think God's going to penalize you because you stood for his word and corrected sin? And you think that if a, a, a some person that's, uh, you know, offended or somebody that's um, basically a baby Christian that gets offended, leaves the church because you corrected their sin, you think God's not going to make up for that and provide for you for obeying his word? See, and people don't think like that. They say, well, don't say anything to him. He's a big giver. Yeah, but what does that mean? I should just let his soul go to hell because he gives large checks in the offering. So I shouldn't correct the sin that the enemy's trying to use to destroy his life because he's a large giver. What a stupid way to think. What a stupid way to think. Well, brother, don't say anything to him, man. He's one of the biggest tithers in the church. Okay, 
So I should let his spiritual life just go to nothing and not receive any correction or direction because he gives large checks in the offering? I will tear checks up. Understand me. I will tear checks up and throw them on the ground before I'll let somebody in my flock go to hell. People don't understand that. People really don't understand that. And that takes spiritual backbone to do that. You think I care more about a check that came in the offering than I do the, the, the spiritual eternity of somebody who's sitting in the audience? You think that? that? I mean, and people think like that. If you think they don't, why do you think boards fire their pastors for that kind of stuff? Well, he was one of our largest givers and pastor got up and rebuked, rebuked something that he was doing. We just let that pastor go because he did Destroying the church because people are more worried about money they're more worried about offending people. They're more worried about whether people are comfortable in the service. Let me tell you, sinners that come into churches that are living in sin should not feel comfortable when they sit in a church that's preaching the gospel. You should feel uncomfortable because the anointing of the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart of the sin you're living in. Why do you think preachers aren't preaching against sin anymore? The reason they're not preaching against sin is because it makes people uncomfortable. Well, brother, we need those people in the seats. We need those offerings in the offering plate. So what are you running, a social club? Won't preach the gospel? Won't preach repentance? Won't tell people that they need to turn from their wicked ways and come to Christ? It blows my mind because, you know, many people, I hear people leading people in a, in a prayer of salvation. They're not getting saved. You know, a prayer, by the way, just a side note for any, if there are any ministers watching, uh, a prayer of salvation is not this. Father, we just know that you're good and we just don't want to do life alone, God. And we just ask you now to just be with us. That's not a prayer of salvation. Read what the Bible says. People have got to turn from sin. They've got to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. They've got to believe in their heart God raised him from the dead. There is actual things that have to take place for salvation to happen. It's not, God, we just know that, you know, we're in, we just know that we don't have what it takes. And we're just tired, Lord, of doing life alone. We want to feel the gentle embrace of your spirit, Lord. Like, what are you praying with people? creeps me out to just listen to you pray it. It's not salvation. It's not a salvation prayer. You know, because we don't want to say sin. We don't want to say that people are in sin. You know, I, I, I make sure that if I'm praying with people, I, I, I make sure if I'm praying for somebody and I'm leading them in a sinner, sinner's uh, prayer, I don't, say, I don't say that kind of nonsense. I make sure, Lord, today I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Make me new. Give me the power to live for you. I confess that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. I pray what the Bible says to pray. Well, we don't want to address sin, brother, because you know people get uncomfortable when you say they've been living in sin. They have been. They have been living in sin. And it needs to be said. But because there's been a stripping away of spiritual authority among spiritual leadership, the problem that we're ending up having now is that we can't even properly guide the people of God because we've even, we've even taught them to think, well, my pastor should never talk to me like that. 
He should never suggest that I'm living in sin or that my life is somehow subpar to the word. And so what's happened? You've got a generation of people that have embraced with all of their heart, hook, line, and sinker, the hyper-grace, heretical teaching that you can do anything you want and still go to heaven. And the Bible doesn't teach it. It's not about what you do. It's about what he did. No, it's also about what you do. It's not about what you do when you to get saved. By grace are you saved through faith. But after you get saved, it is about what you do. Otherwise, Paul wasted a ton of parchment writing back to all those churches and telling them to stop living in sin. You understand? And so it was a waste of time. Paul, what do you think? The Holy Spirit led Paul to waste his time writing epistles, warning the believers not to live in sin and let sin control their lives and the way they think and live? No. The Holy Spirit was leading and guiding him to write so that Christians who were already saved would stop and never give in to their fleshly desires. Paul the same, had to do the same for himself. But what's happened? Spiritual retardation, a slowing of development, a slowing of progression because of offense, because people won't listen to spiritual leadership, think they don't need spiritual leadership. Let me tell you something for every person that's watching. You need your pastor. And in fact, those of you that are watching me that understand what I'm preaching about today, I want you to write it in the comments. I need my pastor. I want you to put it in the comments today. I need my pastor. Not, I, not just I appreciate having a pastor and it's nice. Isn't it nice we have a pastor? No, you need your pastor. You need him. And let me tell you, I can preach this and say this as strong as I want. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a pastor. So I, I'm not saying it for me or my people that I pastor. I don't pastor any people. I don't pastor any people. So I want you to understand something. I can preach and say this and say it strong and bold and know it's not self-serving because I'm not a pastor and nor do I have people that I do pastor. But I want you to write, I need my pastor. It's not just I appreciate my pastor. No, no, no. You need your pastor. Need him. All caps, N-E-E-D. The reason you need him. Let me just say this. If you think you don't need him, then you might as well slap Jesus in the face, who's the one who sent and positioned your pastor, set him in the church for the perfecting of you, and say, Jesus didn't know what the heck he was doing, putting a pastor over me, because I don't need a pastor. If you think you don't need a pastor, if you think you don't need one, then you're saying Jesus didn't know what he was doing when he gave gifts unto men and set pastors in the church. And Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. God knew exactly what he was doing. And I need my pastor. You need to write it and you need to believe it and you need to confess it and you need to pray for your pastor and you need to fast on behalf of your pastor. You need to sow into your pastor. Let me just say something to you. That's right, you've got a great pastor, mama. That's right, Jerry, you've got a great pastor. Those of you watching, you have great pastors. And let me tell you what you need to do if you haven't done it, especially now during this stupid quarantine. You need to get a seed together. I'm talking about a financial seed. And I'm not a pastor, so I can say this plainly and boldly. You need to get a seed together of appreciation and you need to put that seed in your hand and take it to your pastor or to the church or Dropbox or whatever they've got because of the quarantine. And you need to put a seed 
of honor into the hand of your pastor with a letter that says, I love you and your wife. I'm praying for you. I appreciate you. You need, you need to do it. If you've not done it, you need to do it. Men of God, the Bible says, are worthy of double honor. That's talking about money if you read it in context. You need to put a seed in your pastor's hand and bless him and his wife and their children with a letter that says, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for praying for me. Thank you for fasting for me. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for standing in the gap for me. You need to do it. A seat of honor will take you farther than you could have ever imagined you would go. A seat of honor. If you don't know about this, it's something you should live by as a principle of life. A principle of life. And you need to get a seed together. And you need to find your pastor. Even if you can't meet with him right now because of whatever's going on, who cares? Find a way to get that thing in his hand and bless. Not, listen to me. Listen to me, not to the church, not to the church. I'm not telling you to sow a seed to the church, although you should be sowing seeds to your church and tithing to your church, no question. I'm talking about a seed of honor that goes to him personally, a form of a first fruits offering, whether it's cash, check, whatever. Don't go out there and get a $20 Starbucks card, please, please. You're talking about a man and a woman that have given their life for you and your family that are literally on the line every single day praying for their believers, praying for their flock, asking God for wisdom to guide the flock, cracking me up the numbers, the numbers dropping, numbers dropping while I'm talking about blessing pastors. People are logging off. You talk about separating the mature from the immature, you just start talking about finances. People start dropping off. That's fine. Let them drop off if they want. I'm talking to you that are big enough to stay on, that are mature enough to stay on. And you need to thank God. You need, I'm thankful for every one of you that wrote that in the comments. I need, I need my pastor. And I'm the same. I need my pastor. I need the ministry gifts that are in my life. And I put... I put seeds of honor. I put seeds of honor, and I'm going to do it again. I'm going to keep on doing it. And you hear what I'm saying? If you believe anything I preach, those of you that are here on the broadcast, if you believe anything I preach, if you stick around and you're encouraged by my broadcasts and my ministry and what Carolyn and I preach and teach, if you do, if you're connected to us, then you need to listen to what I'm telling you right now, and you need to put a seed of honor together. I don't care. Listen, I don't care. It doesn't... Sowing seed has nothing to do with what the environment's like around you, has nothing to do with the economy, has nothing to do with what the government's doing, has everything to do with God's economy and what God's asked you to do. And I'm just telling you right now, as a man of God, I'm telling you this, you need to put a seed of honor together and put it in your pastor's hand. And it need, when I say a seed of honor, that means something. A seed of honor is a specific thing. It means something that's honorable. What is honorable? Something that means something. Don't give your pastor something that you wouldn't give to a 15-year-old at their birthday party. Here's five bucks. Don't spend it all in one place, pastor. Don't go out and get a $20 gift card to a restaurant or Starbucks. Do something that's honorable. 
something that's honorable, that shows them, that shows them this is my appreciation for what you do for me and my family. Thanks for sowing a seed, Sherry. And find your pastor. I'm not telling you to do it to me. I'm telling you to do it to your pastor of your church and bless them. Bless them and honor them. Why? They're giving their lives for your family and other families. And I'm telling you right now, in the midst of all this foolishness that's going on, the encouragement that that would bring to your pastor as a mature believer to let them know, I appreciate you. I'm praying for you. I'm believing for you and for our body of believers. And I want to bless you as a sign to let you know that I love what you're standing for. I love what you're doing. I love how you stand in the gap for us. And I appreciate you as my man of God. You need to do it. You absolutely need to do it. And those of you that have never, yes, Vicki, absolutely. Vicki said, I, I honestly had never heard of a seat of honor directly to my pastor. Thank you for the wisdom. Absolutely. And I, I live this way, Vicki. I live this way. And for those of you maybe that are watching and have never really thought of this or done this or been taught to do this, it's something you should do. It's no question something you should do. Did you know that in the Old Testament, there was a first fruits offering that was brought not just for the house of God, it was brought to the priest and it was for the priest and his family. It was for them. You think about that. Wasn't for the temple, wasn't for anything. It was for the priest and his family. And those things, Jesus didn't do away with that. He wasn't the ultimate first fruits offering on the cross. No, I still bless men of God today, to this day. I don't write into their ministry. Don't, listen, can I tell you something? Can I give you, give you a wisdom? Don't, don't be a person that's like, well, I, I, would, I would prefer to give it through the church, you know, so I can get the tax credit. Don't be that person, please. Are you truly telling us that if, if the government did away with, uh, you know, tax-exempt ministries and gave us a, a tax break for our giving that you'd stop giving because there was no tax break? Don't be that person. So, uh, you know, I'd like to actually let it funnel through the church so that I could get a tax credit. Don't be that person. Give the man or woman of God a blessing and give it directly to them. If you're writing a check, make it out to their name. Pastor, write their name on it. Don't write it to the church. Make it to their name. Make it to their name. If you're putting cash in an envelope, put a bunch of cash in the envelope. Don't put $20 in an envelope. Say, Pastor was thinking about you today. Hope you really... That's a seat of honor. Honor them. Honor them. I remember... And I know, I know everybody's at a different level. I understand that. I understand that. But I want to tell you, even for my own life, yeah, get their cash up info if they have it. And bless them often. When you're thinking about them, bless them. Let me tell you. I've found... Thank you, Jennifer, for sowing a seed. I've found... Myself in times, I can tell you, I was ticked off one time. Let me give you a story. I, I, I don't carry cash. I should probably. I just don't because I, I never think to do it. I got cards and everything. And um, so I was in an airport and I've kind of made it like a, 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 a rule in my own life that if I, because I don't believe in quote unquote coincidence. If God lets me run into a mighty man of God or woman of God, I don't believe it was a coincidence. I believe God ordained those me running across their path. And uh, I was in an airport flying out to a meeting and there's a mighty man of God sitting there in the seat waiting for his flight, pastor of a powerful church. I thought, my God, God's got me right next to this guy. 
And I was so mad. I had no cash on me. I don't carry checks. My wife has a checkbook and I was traveling alone. I just carry cards. And so I was like, man, I'm going to bless this pastor before I get out of here. I went to, it was like the devil was against me. So on a seat of honor, I went to every ATM in the airport, every one, every single ATM was out of service. I mean, like, what are the chances that in an airport, an international airport, every single ATM in the terminal is out of service? It was like a demonic attack. I mean, I know it was just ATMs out of service, but it was like ticking me off. I was like, I don't have cash for the man. I don't have a check for the man. I can't even pull cash out from an ATM for the man. And so what did I do? I called Carolyn because he wasn't far from where we were. I called Carolyn immediately. I said, Carolyn, I'm just, I just run in, ran into this man of God at the airport. Um, I don't, I can't. And I explained the is, issue. I said, write a check immediately. And I told her, I think it was a thousand dollars. I said, write a check for $1,000 immediately, and I want it on his desk at his church by the end of the day. I want it on his desk. And I went up to him and just said, God bless you, Pastor. It's nice to meet you. I'm so-and-so. I'm sorry I don't have anything for you here, but I have a seat of honor. My wife is making sure it goes to your church. It'll be on your desk by the end of the day. I didn't know the man. Never had met him one time in my life. Not, Not one time. There's nothing he could do for me. He can't open doors for me. He doesn't even know me. What am I doing? Honoring the men of God that God's placed on the earth, doing a work, doing a great work for the kingdom. And I said, I just want you to know we sowed a thousand. It'll be on your desk by the end of the day. He said, wow, th- thank you, brother. So, so I so appreciate that. I remember, I remember there was a time. I, I went to see Bishop David Oyedepo the first time that I, I got a chance to really be uh, in, in, his, in his meetings in the States. I remember the Lord spoke to me very plainly. He said, don't do it to his ministry. You sow it to him. And one of the first times I ever saw him, I wrote a check to Bishop Oedepo, to himself, for $10,000. To him, not to his ministry, to him. Why? The man's changed the world. <laughs> He's changed the world. We think I'm going to run up to him with a $50 uh, you know, Olive Garden gift card. Hey, Brother David, didn't know if you've been here in the States very long. We got this great place called Olive Garden. You can get all you can eat breadsticks and salad. It's a really great place just picked you up a little $50 gift card to the Olive Garden. Honestly, honestly, the man's shaken his nation and has changed the world. And you think I'm going, you think I'm going to run up to him with a $50 Olive Garden gift card? And the Lord watches your heart. The Lord sees what you do and feel about his work that's going on on the earth. No question about it. Here's a man that's in his 60s. Think about this. Here's a man that's in his 60s who when he was preaching in a pastor's conference in Texas to other pastors, told them, he said, you know, every Saturday, he said, every Saturday, our church goes out soul winning on the streets. He doesn't just stay back because he's the pastor. He said, well, let my people go. He goes out. He goes out at 60-something and goes street witnessing in Nigeria on Saturdays. And he just gave, and it was like halfway through the year, and he said, you know, even, he said, just this, this year alone, and then listed how many thousands of people that he's led to Jesus on the streets, not in his altar calls and his services, on the streets. It's a man that's serious about the kingdom. You want to run up to him with a $20 Starbucks gift card? Brother David, don't know if you like lattes or not, but we got a great place here in the States called Starbucks. Please, these are men. Honor the men of God. 
Honor the men and women of God for what they're doing. And I'll tell you, God will honor you. God will honor you for doing the same. And that's why I'm encouraging you. Your pastor standing in the gap. Bless him. Encourage him. You know, pastors are just like anybody else in their own physical humanity. What do I mean by that? That You think the enemy doesn't try to discourage your pastor? You think he's some superhero because he holds a five-fold ministry gift office? Or do you think that the enemy works against his mind, tries to come against his spirit, as happened to the prophet Elijah on Mount Horeb? He's up there in full depression. God, I'm the last person standing for you. Nobody else is standing for Jehovah. God had to open his eyes and encourage him. There's thousands that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. You're not the only one. The enemy tries to attack men and women of God, tries to attack their minds, tries to attack their lives. And you've got to be those that are faithful to say, Pastor, we love you. We appreciate you. We pray for you. Here's a seat of honor. It will encourage them. It'll bless them. And you'll be blessed for doing it. You will be blessed for doing it. We need our spiritual leadership. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I know it's past 12, but I'm telling you, this is a vital message. As you go into the weekend, vital message needs to be shared. If you haven't shared it, this needs to be shared. If you don't share this, I'm telling you, people need this message. We do not need to be uh, held back or our lack of development, lack of progression, because the enemy has been allowed to lie us out of God's system of impartation in the body of Christ. I want you to bow your head and let let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, number one, you'd give us the wisdom to operate in the system that you have set up on the earth of impartation and spiritual maturity. I pray that for every person watching this live on the replay or listening on the podcast, I pray in Jesus' mighty name that you would give us supernatural wisdom beyond our years. I pray in Jesus' name that you'd give us a love and appreciation for the men and women of God that you've placed in the body of Christ to train us, to equip us, to raise us up into maturity and into the unity of the faith. Give us a love for our pastors and their wives and their families, for the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers also that are doing the work of the ministry. Father, give us the faith to stand up in boldness and declare, I'm humble enough to receive correction. I'm humble enough to receive instruction. I'm humble enough to receive guidance from the men and women of God that you've placed here on the earth for the progression of the saints. Equip us, Lord. Let 2020 be the most impactful year we've ever had in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing around the earth. Thank you for your men and women. Thank you for pastors and their wives that are giving their life for the believers. Thank you for the apostles and the prophets that are standing strong around the world. Thank you for the evangelists that are reaping the harvest. Thank you for the teachers that are equipping the saints. Strengthen them. Give them fresh revelation and fresh unction to preach your word with boldness. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. We thank you and give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Tyler, for sowing a seed. Anybody that would like to follow their lead, Tyler and others that have sown, you're welcome to sow a seed and we thank you. There's never any pressure on anybody. But I tell you this, if the Lord guides you and leads you to sow a seed, do what he's asking you to do and you'll be blessed. And that's what I'm, I encourage you today to put something aside for your pastor and to bless him. We're coming into the weekend. We're going to hit Saturday, tomorrow, Sunday, Some of you are having drive-in services at your church. Some of you are meeting online. Some of you maybe you're even still meeting at the church. 
I know the nation's getting ready to start opening up state by state again, but I want you to hear me. Bless your pastor this weekend. Put that seed of honor in his hand. And for those of you that are partnering with us, we say thank you. Those of you that are sowing seeds, we say thank you. And of course, you know we're going to bless you too. We've got books we're going to send to you. We've got Bibles we're sending out. I just sent out a whole batch of partner Bibles yesterday that I signed to you, made out to your family. Thank you for partnering with us. Those of you that are uh, standing with Carolyn and, and standing with me as we're taking the gospel around the world, thank you. We love you. We appreciate you very much. And those of you that want to sow a seed into this ministry, the information's on the screen. You can use hashtag donate in the comments section. You can use uh, the cash app. Uh, MWgive is the cash tag. Venmo is the same. Info at miracleword.com is the PayPal. And if you'd like the easiest way, the absolute easiest way to sow, go to miracleword.com and uh, sow your seed there on the website, or you can partner with us there. And for everybody that's partnering at $100 or more this month, we're sending you this powerful book by Dr. Mark Hitchcock, The End. It's a complete overview to Bible prophecy, about 500 plus pages of explanation of every aspect of end times Bible prophecy. And of course, as you know, those of you that are standing with us in partnership of $1,000 or more, this awesome study tool, the Life Application Study Bible, Genuine Leather, uh, we're making this out to you and your family. We just sent a huge batch of these out yesterday uh, to our partners that are standing with us all over the United States of America. And if you feel to be one of those people that is standing with us in partnership, on the website, miracleword.com, you can click the partner tab and fill out the uh, form there and stand with us monthly. And we thank every one of you that are doing that uh, as well. And uh, once again, if you're just logging on and didn't know, the book is available. Further Faster is now my latest book. This is the sixth book. I can't believe it. The sixth book that the Lord's allowed me to write. It's available now on Amazon. It's available on our website, shop.miracleword.com. At this point, we're still waiting for our copies to come for the printer, but people are already getting theirs from Amazon. I saw Jerry got his yesterday, uh, so people are already getting them. If you want to order it, order it on Amazon right now because it's going to be the fastest to get to you. And then we'll have our copies that we're sending out for pre-orders very soon. And, um, and then, of course, the hard hardcover is coming to the partners that stood with us last year and those that pre-ordered last year. We're doing a hardcover with a dust jacket. It's a limited edition. And then also, I'm going to start work very soon on an audible audiobook version of Further Faster, which uh, is going to be great. I can't wait for that. It's going to be awesome. I love you guys very much. Appreciate you hanging with us today. It's going to be great. Have a phenomenal weekend. I'll be back with you again Monday morning, 1030 a.m. Appreciate all you're doing. As we leave, as we go, thank you, Jerry. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you very much. As we go, I'm going to sing to you Blood Medley from YouTube. This is me and the band singing, praising, playing, at my father's camp meeting in West Virginia. I love you guys. Enjoy it. I'll talk to you again on Monday. Later. Yeah, yeah, yes. We used to say, oh, what can wash away my sin? You say nothing but the blood of Jesus. Ooh, what can make me all I did? You say nothing but the blood of Jesus. Do it again. Say what? 
wash away my sin. Come on, say nothing but the blood of Jesus. Ooh, one can make me whole again. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, sin, oh, precious is that blood that makes me white as Oh, 
Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of. 